0: Welcome to episode 235 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. We've known for a long time that methane emissions from oil and gas production are underreported. But just how underreported? Engineering professor Matthew Johnson from Carleton University's Energy and Emissions Research Lab recently released Canada's first ever upstream oil and gas methane uh, census. The results aren't surprising to anyone who has been watching this story over the years, but they do have important consequences for Canada's climate policies, especially the upcoming federal oil and gas emissions cap. So welcome to Energy Talks, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Well, glad to have you. Um, I'm going to start off this interview with a bit of a parlor trick. Um, I uh, the la- I remember doing an interview with Denara Millington, an economist uh, of the Canadian Energy Research Institute on a study they did at that time uh, on emissions uh, from natural uh, it was oil from oil and gas. And if I remember correctly, BC produces about five billion cubic feet of natural gas uh, per day and has fairly low uh, methane emissions. Newer equipment, um, a lot of the production is, is electrified. It's it's gas only. Uh, Alberta is the big producer at about now at about, I think, about 11 billion cubic feet per day. Its equipment was, is older, leakier, and the leakage rate was considered much higher uh, back in 2018, I think um, uh, Siri said something like six percent. That's what they thought at, at that time. And then we come to Saskatchewan, uh, which only makes 400 million cubic feet per day, but it's associated gas. So it's 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 uh, it's it's produced when you're producing oil, you get gas with it, and a lot of that would be uh, vented to atmosphere. And incredibly dirty uh, gas, and uh, a bit of a, a problem to clean up. So, and the other thing is, if it's a if you're talking about relative reductions like forty percent or forty five percent, which we tend to do in Canada, forty five percent in Saskatchewan is not the same as forty five percent in BC. So, with that bit of an introduction, Matthew, and you can correct any of the mistakes that I have made uh, in in there um can you give us an overview of your census please
1: sure uh so we've set out to try to quantify methane emissions across western canada not just the magnitudes but more importantly where it's coming from Uh, so your lead in is spot on since maybe 2016 we flew the first kind of mass balance airplane flight in a small little region of Alberta, quite new technology at the time. And at that time, we're kind of shocked to find emissions were, you know, one and a half or, or more above inventories. In fact, they're closer to two times back then. Um, honestly, since then, we've kind of had this general, anybody in the know understands that the federal inventory is a, is a serious underestimate. But Much more important than that is where it's coming from. And that was the real motivation, is not just to get the magnitudes right, those are obviously important for policy, but the sources. Uh, Regulations are being developed. People are going to start taking specific actions on types of sources, tanks and compressors. And if we get that wrong, we're wasting a lot of time and effort, time we don't have and effort and costs that people don't wanna spend. and we won't make our climate targets. And those targets are more critical than ever if we learn anything out of COP and the IPCC reporting. So that was the primary goal. Um, In terms of how we've we've done it, and this is an ongoing thing, I should say, Um, probably the most important thing out of anything I can say today is methane emissions better be tracking and changing. And so any measurement we make now in 2021 is the data where we've finally analyzed and completed. I hope that today in 2023, emissions have already changed. And as we head to 2030, I hope, and they better, those emissions will change, reduce, and the sources themselves will change. So we're in this unprecedented time where we really need to track reductions and the evolution of sources if we're to have any hope of succeeding um, and keeping things competitive. So that's kind of the general motivation for what we're doing
0: there's some important context here. Uh, two, three weeks ago, the federal government, uh, actually, no, when I think about it, it was the beginning of the cop 28, but the, um, the federal government, uh, released its draft methane emissions regulations for, for oil and gas, uh, upstream oil and gas, hugely controversial, Mm -hmm. uh, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith called them unconstitutional and illegal, and said that Alberta wouldn't be following them. And the the big bone of contention is that the federal government wants to uh, bump up the ambition; it wants to be seventy five percent by twenty thirty. The Alberta wants to stick to the old forty to forty five percent, which goes right back to twenty fifteen, actually, when the then NDP uh, Premier Rachel Notley uh, set out the climate leadership plan. And, and industry was on board with that, you know. So I'm a you know, given where we, how much we progress, and how much more public pressure and more understanding of the the climate crisis is, you know, the idea that we can just stand pat on something we agreed to in two thousand and fifteen, uh, I don't think is is going to fly. I at the end of the day, there Alberta is going to lose that lose that uh, debate. But if we're talking about forty. or 75% of the current inventory numbers, or we're talking 45% or 75% of your
1: census numbers, that makes a big difference. It does. And I mean, really 45% or 75%, those are being measured to some historic baseline, 2012 or 2014. We don't know what it was, really. like Nobody knows. Nobody measured it we know that our measurements anytime we measure inventories are off by at least one and a half times that's in all provinces it's not just Canada that's throughout North America other parts of the world anytime somebody's done a proper measurement study unsurprisingly if you compare that to a effectively an economist bean counting exercise if I can say that you know where you just say I've got so many compressors each compressor emits x I'll multiply that treat them all the same doesn't matter that that Amount X that gets emitted by a compressor was something I measured as far back as 1998. Literally, that's kind of when some of these factors come from in Canada. So we know this is all wrong. Um, the only thing that really ultimately matters is how much methane is being released per unit of energy we deliver to market. And what really worries me about those kind of reactions, and I I don't think they're shared across the industry at all. I, I think there's a real bit of being out of touch on this um what really matters is methane per unit energy delivered that came out solidly at the cop meeting uh what was it 50 companies agreed to a near zero methane intensity standard right
0: yeah
1: uh, the future the even even if you don't buy i don't want to give people a free pass here but even if you don't buy the environmental urgency of this for whatever reason, just from a pure business perspective, uh, those in the energy industry who want to ignore it, stand pat, as you said, are completely going to be left behind. Uh, This would be an unbelievable economic tragedy in Canada if we fail to seize this opportunity.
0: Yeah, the the, uh, industry, uh, some in the industry, uh, argue that their carbon pricing uh, in their markets they sell to, which is almost exclusively the U.S., there'll never be any kind of carbon pricing. And so lately what we've seen, we we saw the European Union enact the carbon uh, border adjustment mechanism, right? So to measure the energy uh, emissions intensity of products that are imported in, into the EU, including natural gas, assuming that they were still getting some from Russia. Um, the uh, we look down in the US. I did an interview with Aaron Cosby, uh economist Aaron Cosby, who pointed out that there's a bill before Congress right now uh to penalize uh carbon pollution is the is the is the way. So even the Americans are and, and this bill may not make it through. You know, that's entirely possible. Republican led, no less. Yes, Repo- three Republicans, including Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. Yep. You know, one of the highly prominent. So the, the sooner or later, the Americans are going, going to get around to regulating or pricing emissions intensity of oil and gas. And it's not like the Canadian industry hasn't seen this coming. I wrote a book in 2019 called The New Alberta Advantage uh, Technology Policy and the Future of the Oil Sands and i interviewed people like sun you know suncor's uh, one of their vice presidents and i interviewed all sorts of people in the industry everybody saw that down the road emissions intensity was going to be priced or regulated and the industry at that time was talking about we need to be both carbon and and cost competitive we need to drive down our costs we need to drive down our emissions intensity that that narrative has kind of been lost we don't talk about that nearly as much it kind of gets gets ignored now uh but but the industry has known this is coming for a long time and i remember in 2015 i did a an interview with a a scientist out of i think it was the university of texas who had done a study like you did on just the barnett shale which is a gas producer in northern texas 50 percent and and their numbers were underrepresented by by a half just like you said, and 50% of the emissions were coming from routine repair and maintenance. Mm -hmm. A valve would be broken, a hatch on a gas processing plant would be left open, you know, stuff that you could actually fix. And then every molecule that you save uh, is one you can sell. So the industry has a lot of uh, self-interest in fixing this problem.
1: I think there's uh, Canadian industry. There are segments of Canadian industry who get this absolutely. Um, there's recent news week or so ago. I'm forgetting the name of the company right now. Uh, Tourmaline was one of the two uh, who both signed deals with Chenier in the U.S. And that's important because that basically delivers gas from Canada, from the Montney region primarily, down through Chenier's pipeline network to the Gulf. Where it's exported as LNG and heads to Europe. And uh, Chenier is a kind of forward looking company in the US who's, you know, I see them at a lot of meetings presenting all their measurement work and working with academics. They're subject to that European Union methane import uh, requirement that that you mentioned. Um, They're already doing it. Companies delivering into that network, these two companies in Canada. Are therefore also going to be doing it are already doing they understand this go beyond that to lng canada Uh, i guess the startup testing is going to be as early as next year now on 2024 Uh, maybe full operation by 2025 we'll see that opens up an export market we've never had in canada yes that's primarily going to go to asia but once you know europe puts a price on uh Methane intensity, the US gas network, anything heading the Gulf Coast, Gulf Coast will have that price on methane intensity. There's gonna be a two-tier pricing system. Maybe Japan and Korea do the same, maybe they don't, but either Canadian companies get on board with this, uh, and, and some absolutely are, or if we're worried about the kind of price discounts we get in Canadian oil, just wait to see the price discounts that will come in Canadian gas. Yeah, I would I would agree. And beyond
0: it, you know, I remember a few years ago there were discussions about, you know, Canada, uh, Western Canadian provinces can produce gas uh, competitive with the Americans uh, on cost, and you know what to do with it. And you know, there while there was a fair amount of pressure to build more LNG facilities on the west coast, there were some people at that time you don't hear about it much anymore who were saying, look the Americans are going to build out LNG facilities in the Gulf coast. You know, Texas and Louisiana are just going hard on this and, and, uh, you know, they have all the infrastructure, the, the, the capital costs for an LNG plant uh, on the West coast, like LNG Canada is twice that of the U S Gulf coast. Mm -hmm. And the operating efficiencies aren't enough to make it really competitive. So we know that the Americans are, are, are building it out as anticipated and, and now there's talk about maybe some shortages in the American, in the residential market and the industrial market. So the, the thinking at that time was Canada can backfill that. Well, if Canada's going to backfill that or set up contracts like Tourmaline and this other company did direct to LNG makers, or it might even be direct to power plants in, in, the, in the U.S., that argues as you just said for for paying attention to emissions immense intensity and being able to prove whatever leak rate you claim it's mm-hmm. not enough just to claim it it's going to have to be certified in some way
1: yeah yeah sorry i think i think it's i think it was arc resources but now i'm now i'm a little bit confused on the company but it's absolutely happening and if Canada the companies in Canada they get on board with this and there are companies doing this to be credit where credit's due it's just for whatever reason the premier's offices maybe in Alberta and Saskatchewan or certainly in Alberta in the news anyway just aren't quite on board um I think BC gets this by the way I mean they they our measurements show they're not to the European standard quite yet but From what we can see, they're the cleanest in North America, or at least the cleanest for any region for whom we have data. Um, That's an opportunity where, you know, we, we, as a nation, companies, governments really should take advantage of and not squander. Um, We've talked a long time about the potential for clean resources from Canada. This is a way to do that notwithstanding we're a long way from that in parts of Alberta and even further away from Saskatchewan, but it proves what's possible. And, you know, some companies are doing it. Um, The market is going to change like nobody's seen in the next 10 years. Um, We better not let this go by. And and it needs to be pointed out that many of the companies
0: operating in, in BC producing that clean gas are based in Cal in Alberta yes oh, yeah. alberta companies so it's yeah. not yeah it's not like this is a mystery or as you say many of the companies aren't committed and let's be be frank you know the the uh, alberta got a, to 45% reduction in its uh emission uh, methane emissions under the under the existing inventory not your numbers but under the existing inventory 3 years early yeah and the uh, the contradictions that come out of the premier's office on the one hand, they sent out a press release bragging about, you know, just a few weeks ago, bragging about how they had really, you know, hit 45%. And then at the same time, she's fighting about this 75% where you would think that they would say, Hey, you know what? We already got to 45% early. We've proven we can do this. Why don't we go for 75%? Or why don't we help out the federal government wink, wink, and go for 95%. Because that's the that's the low-hanging fruit. That's the easy stuff to do compared to you know constructing carbon capture and storage, you know, oh in, yeah in, in the oil sands. It's the it's the low-hanging, it's the easy stuff. So the the policy uh direction in the premier's office and the uh, the messaging and the narratives are out of sync with where the industry is and and where it's going and where the market's going, frankly.
1: Definitely where the market seems to be going, this alignment on methane intensities in the US and Europe is real and happening very, very quickly. Um, It's not only that, there's corporate driven things. There's various gas certification standards throughout the US. um, Veritas, MyQ, um, multiple of them. Um, And US companies are, you know, adopting these at various degrees and it's very competitive space. Um, we've been much slower in Canada on this. Um, The market will presumably only get more competitive. I don't want to predict when energy demand might start to peak. This could be anywhere over decades, uh, years to decades. But at some point, um, the market's going to be a lot more competitive than it has been historically. And if I were a Canadian company, I'd be doing... (laughs) be doing what what I see a couple of the leaders really doing and getting behind this um, and setting up market control going forward. But boy, um, you know, this head in the sand kind of approach that we've done 45% from some arbitrary baseline. um, That's really missing the opportunity.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Now, I've got a question for you. And I don't know that you, I didn't see this in in the materials I, I read, But uh, we've done a lot of work recently on the uh, abandoned well, the orphan well problem in Alberta. And one of the issues that comes up is leaks, methane leaks from decommissioned wells. Now, whether they might be fully reclaimed, they might be plugged but not reclaimed, or they might be just suspended. And there's, you know, we're talking of the three groups, the last two groups I mentioned, we're talking about over 170,000 wells. So did you measure
1: leaks from decommissioned wells? Uh, Not directly, sometimes indirectly. Uh, Let me back up and say, although decommissioned wells get a lot of press because you multiply anything by maybe 170,000, even multiplying by 170,000, they're actually very, very small to the point where even the latest studies that are out, if you take this one out uh, just a week or so ago, when you look at the emission factor out of that and what it might represent, it's still well within the uncertainty bars on the inventories we're producing. It's it's not where the methane is. Um, doesn't mean they're not important and something that we should address, but in terms of getting methane intensities down, the, the real sources to address are things like venting, from uncontrolled tanks that you know, there's tens of thousands, and those are large sources in the tens and sometimes into the hundreds of kilograms an hour. Whereas you no know, abandoned well, it's measured in the milligrams per hour. You know, um, a million times smaller. Um, yes, they get multiplied by 170,000, but it's not really where the issue is. And I'll add to that, you know, we sometimes we fly these large-scale area surveys across you know, thousands and thousands of sites, tens of thousands at this point. And within the regions we fly, there's often an abandoned or or inactive or decommissioned well within the footprint of the facilities we're looking at. And sometimes we fly inactive facilities. don't have specific statistics on this, but it's not something we see show up as a source. Um, But venting does, I mean, for, for everything we've discussed so far, really, it's not even so much leaks, it's venting. Um, and venting from tanks, still venting from pneumatics. Um, those two sources alone are, venting in Saskatchewan is over 80% of the methane we detect. Um, that's good news in a way. I mean, Saskatchewan emissions are very high objectively, um, high among the highest in North America that we've seen. But on the flip side, with over 80% coming from vented sources, those are also directly addressable. Um, that's where we need to focus our attention. What can be done uh, to stop the venting? So from tanks, uncontrolled storage tanks, probably the number one source in the inventory across provinces, there are tank controls. Uh, so you can install a vapor recovery unit with at cost, you can recover the methane and the VOCs that are going out that tank, direct them back to a pipeline as a profit mechanism. Um, that's obviously the most preferred solution, but second tier in the solution would just be to connect that uh, to a combustor. Uh, there's a couple of Canadian suppliers of combustor equipment To I can't imagine how much their business is booming. You see it all over LinkedIn and news and announcements. These are relatively cheap installs, um, you know, $50,000 installed or less per site. Um, It varies with the size, of course. You just capture the gas, feed it into a combustor and burn it. Um, You know, methane being about 82 and a half times worse than CO2 uh, for climate forcing the first 20 years after it's released. Simply capturing and burning uh, can cut your emissions by, you know, 80-ish times, um, give or take. Um, it's So those two things, vapor recovery units and combustors are going to be 99% of the solution. And it exists elsewhere. You don't see uncontrolled tanks for the States in the same way we do in Canada. British Columbia, one of the reasons why they have such lower emissions, uh, at least two thirds of their tanks in the inventories we've been doing are controlled. Um, and so it it is absolutely possible. But th- those are the first two. What about um, uh,
0: pneumatic tools uh, and uh, compressors?
1: Yeah, so pneumatics, uh, that's something, it's like the slow moving train. We can see this happening for a long time going back. The solution is to replace them entirely with air-driven systems or electrified systems. Uh, And that is happening um, throughout the industry now. Uh, Air-driven system, essentially what that entails is not exactly, but not too different than go down a Canadian tire and buy yourself a compressor. I mean, of course you're getting an oil filled rated one and whatever, but these are relatively small air compressors that deliver sufficient air to drive your pneumatic system to open and close valves, instead of just using gas, natural gas, pressurized by the well that then gets released to atmosphere. Um, We've, we're just finishing a field study in BC this summer. Uh, we're in collaboration with Montrose, uh, we had boots in the ground at nearly 500 sites kind of doing inventories of pneumatics. And so trying to get a head around just how quickly that's changing, but that's the solution that is happening pretty universally. The new federal regulations basically say, okay, time's up, now we have to complete this. And that's gonna happen everywhere in North America. So the good news is that's an off the shelf situation. In the rare instance, you've got a well or something that's too far from power. You can't do the air driven system. Um, you can't do an electric system. There's a company, Canadian company, I think they're called Cothyros, if I get the name right. That will deliver uh, liquid nitrogen to your site that then can run those pneumatics just off a tank that sits there. And so there's actually solutions throughout the sector right now for pneumatics. Uh, if I, if I
0: remember correctly, I, I interviewed a company uh, a couple of years ago that was, they were doing solar powered.
1: Yeah, that's electric. another option. Absolutely. Yeah. Solar electric, certainly. Uh, solar backup on a little air compressor uh, would be doable as well. And so for, you know, it's not that these things don't have a cost, and they do. Uh, tank controls are probably the most expensive piece in, in regulations that are coming. The Pneumatics, I think the writing's been on the wall for a while. Writing's been on the wall for a while. A lot of companies have already made that switch, um, but more will have to. Compressors actually um, are a really important source of methane, especially in British Columbia, where they have a lot of compression for natural gas delivery. And interestingly, the proposed regulations really are fairly silent on compressors. and. I see that as a pragmatic decision by the federal government, people writing the regulation to focus on what's possible. Um, And, you know, compressors can be million dollar machines. uh, In British Columbia, as of 2021, a third of them were already electric driven in an inventory we did. Sorry, not a third, quarter, quarter, nearly a quarter. Uh, We'll get an update on that this summer. Uh, so, there are solutions, but they tend to be very costly. There are certain retrofits you can do with catalytic converters that we've verified in the field actually really do work, but they're also costly. And so, I think companies with a long term vision to LNG exports are going to have to continue that direction. You know, any compressor you buy now locks in for 30 years, but um, the, the regulations largely focus on pneumatics bending room tanks, unlit flares uh, correctly, so you can achieve the kind of reductions we need, maybe leaving compressors for other parts of the regulation.
0: I want to talk about measuring technologies because uh, this has been a problem in the past. Uh, you know one of the reasons why the inventory is is skewed is inaccurate is because the way companies would would, would measure and then when they then basically self-report, Yep. And, you know, some, somebody would go out to a, a battery once, twice a year with a little thermal gun and and take a record and and that's your, your capture. Well, of course, we know that, that methane emission leaks fluctuate. You know, if he happened to go on a day when the, the leak were was minimal or, or non-existent, if he'd shown up the week after, it might've been a much bigger leak. Don't yep. know. And now they've got, uh, remote sensing uh data so they could go right up into the cloud and then somebody back at head office can can analyze it almost in in real time, which seems to be the best way to go. And there's methane sniffing satellites and there's the airplane flyovers. So I mean is it possible that your your airplane flyovers might also have missed, You know underreported the 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 emissions uh simply because it flew over at the wrong time
1: absolutely um nothing's perfect and we spend probably more time on that than anything else in our lab on uncertainty uncertainty analysis and the statistics of this you know in some respect it's somewhat easy uh not exactly easy but some comparatively easy to Know, orchestrate a survey and design it all and fly and get some data and like plot up a quick number. It's it's probably ten times. That's probably ten percent of the effort. Ninety percent of the effort is on representatives representativeness of sample, the statistics to analyze and to get at the question. Really important question you're asking. A um, couple of things on that though. It, It's confusing, because there's lots of different technologies. Satellites will only see a very small portion of anything. Um, We use an airplane technology primarily from Bridger Photonics uh, out of the US. That's kind of the best in class. We can see things down reliably to about a kilogram an hour. so That starts to get 80% or more of what's out there. If we actually regulate pneumatics out of existence, we'll probably be measuring 90% or more of what's out there. but the inevitability is uh if you there's no such thing as a negative emission source for methane and so the statistics are bounded at zero not to get too much in the weeds here but you are always going to be risking missing that high emitter uh and it's never balanced by missing a negative emitter so you tend to always underestimate um now, in the inventories we produce, we spend a lot of time getting uncertainty estimates on them. We do intercomparisons with other airplane techniques, with satellite techniques, and it's all mostly aligning, um, which gives a lot of, you know, for the first time, I should say, probably something that didn't get a lot of attention. But in the paper we published for Alberta um, and for Saskatchewan as well now, data in there comparing our result next to a satellite drive, completely independent. And for Alberta, a secondary airplane measurement. And those are all aligning with uncertainty estimates. And as far as we know, that might be a first in the world. Um, so there are really complex issues under the scenes. Um, and there is always a chance that you're going to miss something. But at least at the scale we're trying to do things, we're we're managing those uncertainties as best we can.
0: What about the remote sensing technology? Is that something that's going to be widely adopted or is it too expensive or not accurate enough? What's your take?
1: It's a very rapidly moving field. I just came back from a week-long conference in San Francisco last week. Uh, lots and lots of presentations on, on these kind of topics. Um, so right now there are two main satellites. There's something called Tripomi and GSG-SAT, which people might be familiar with. Uh, Tropomi kind of looks at larger areas and can be really useful for getting a total magnitude um, and generally works, although it falls apart at northern latitudes. GHG sat on a good day might be able to see down to 100 kilograms an hour, which sounds good, but that misses probably 95% of what's emitted in the Canadian oil and gas sector. I mean, great for Turkmenistan and places like that. but In Canada, for where we are and where we're heading, hopefully we're not very far off from uh, being at an emission level where GHG sat consistently sees zero. Um, so the current techniques maybe aren't quite there, but right around the corner, um, methane sat, uh, independent satellite launched by US-based Environmental Defense Fund is going up uh, next year. And that's kind of a middle size. Data um, will all be public probably can't look at individual facilities with sufficient sensitivity, but you can look at regions and and very clearly, we'll be able to say, hey, the lloyd Minster region of Canada is emitting a lot more than the Montney region of BC, and that'll be independent and completely public. Um, And there's more coming from that, but where we are right now, airplane technologies are, and particularly these technologies like bridge are the only ones with sensitivity good enough to see what we need. But a lot of companies in Canada are using the exact same technologies we are. And uh, I mean, those are the forward companies that are pushing their emissions down. So what about uh, remote sensing down at the battery level? So a lot of people are working on um, fixed sensors in the States, especially. Uh, you know, we complain about regulations in Canada. and the States, the regulations are all the way down to the site level. You have to report an in- inventory app at- the individual site level is incredibly burdensome. Um, and so the, a lot of work on putting fixed sensors on individual sites, You know, you imagine the complexity and cost of that. But the idea is that they run 24-7 and will alarm when something emits. And then you get alarms enough to go to action. Those probably are more or less ready for those who want to install them now as an alarm system sort of like a smoke detector, um, but not, not at all ready for prime time in terms of quantification, They're really quite a long ways off, um, I think. Um, and so I think the near term future, the next couple of years are going to continue to be kind of the boots on the ground camera surveys, um, backed by the kinds of aerial surveys that we're doing, um, noting that the new regulations have this kind of as proposed by triple C have this audit survey, which is kind of unique. Uh, I think a little bit forward thinking, if you think about the export market, uh, questions we were talking about earlier, like if we want Canadian energy to, uh, the energy sector to succeed, to continue to have access to international markets, to get full price for the products you're producing, that's a really clever thing to, to put in the regulations um, that can be held up. Um, and maybe cost share to make effective. I think that's gonna be the near-term future is that kind of balance. Well, waiting to see other airplane technologies are are coming, carbon mapper in the States, again, fully public data sets, flying planes and satellites are launching. Whatever we think we know now, it'll be different in five years, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) As it was, uh, is different today, much different today than it was
1: in 2018 you bet i mean if you look at where we were in 2018 we started working with bridger photonics in 2019 uh it's a completely different picture uh over the last five years and surely it's going to be the same in the next five years
0: well matthew thank you very much for this uh uh, i learned a lot in this in this interview and uh, really appreciate your insights
1: well it's my pleasure thanks for having me great great to chat